What is a great joy to be here with you this morning. It's been a great joy to be here in Albuquerque this weekend for this special time and uh, special visit with uh, your pastor, Ryan Kelly, and his family. It's been good to see Trent Hunter again. Uh, it's just been a wonderful time, and uh, I know that I, as a pastor, covet uh, my time in the pulpit, and so I know Ryan's making a great sacrifice to let a stranger come, stranger to you, come and preach. Uh, I try to protect the pulpit as much I, as I can and be away as uh, little as possible. I know he does the same uh, but thank you so much. I bring you greetings from the High Point Baptist Church in Austin, Texas, and from my family. And um, what I want to do this morning is uh, continue in your series of 1 Samuel. And we're going to pick up in verse 1 of chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them. And um, I'm going to ask the Lord to help us now as we prepare to dig into the Word. Our Father in heaven, we ask for grace. We ask for mercy. We ask that you would open our eyes Open our hearts, our ears, as we have just sung, draw us near to you, convict us of sin, give us life. To you we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who has gained access for us into your very presence. And spirit, by your illuminating ministry, we ask that you would now show us Christ from 1 Samuel 3. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. One of the things I like to do when I come to a city is just learn a little bit about it. And um, uh, I learned that New Mexico is, is famous not just for balloons, but for manifestations of Jesus on tortillas. <laughs> now, <clears throat> the first sighting of Jesus on a tortilla, from what I understand, is 1977 in Lake Arthur, New Mexico. And the, the woman who was making breakfast for her husband, and as she was frying the tortillas, he noticed the face of Jesus on the tortilla. And uh, the poor guy probably didn't get his breakfast that morning because she was so excited, and she told neighbors, and, and they told two friends, and they told two friends, and so on and so forth. And before you knew it, tens of thousands of people were coming to see Jesus on the tortilla. I, I continued doing a little more research because this was somewhat interesting to me. To see if there were any other manifestations of Jesus on a tortilla. And lo and behold, that same year in November 1977, there was. This is from a news story. It says, quote, in the wake of this first tortilla visitation, all heaven broke loose. A competing miracle in November of 1977. A competing miracle tortilla appeared in the skillet of Phoenix housewife Ramona Barreras. It was a face of Jesus, this time accompanied by the letters K, J, C, and B, which Ramona believes stood for King Jesus is coming back. According to the Phoenix New Times in 1997, the Barrera's Miracle Tortilla rests in a plexiglass box in a kitchen drawer. Now, I'm a Texan now and Texans are not ever to be left out of anything, so we joined in this Jesus tortilla manifestations in 1983. And in 1983, housewife Paula Rivera claimed the image of Jesus appeared on a corn tortilla she was making in Hidalgo, Texas. She created her own shrine of the holy tortilla. And then New Mexico, not to be outdone by Texans, came back again in 2012. And on the first day of Lent in March or uh, around March, around uh, 40 days before Easter, uh, in Española, New Mexico, 
another tortilla was being fried and the picture of Jesus was manifested on there. What in the world is going on? Well, I think what's going on is that people want to hear from God and people want to know that God is there. And, and, and when we want to know God, when we want to hear God and, and when we want to see God, when God seems silent, sometimes we go searching for God in all the strange places. I think that's perhaps what's going on in, in these places. People want to hear God. We don't like when God seems silent. In our text this morning, we come to a time in Israel's history where God is silent. Look at verse 1 there. It says, Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. God was silent. I want to walk us through this text this morning in the time that we have. I want to give you three, three pegs on which to hang your thinking as we walk through this text. The first one being the silence of God. The second one being the messenger of God. And then finally, the third one being the word of God. So, so with those three pegs to hang our thinking, let's look at the silence of God, the messenger of God, and the word of God. We see first here the silence of God. God is not speaking. God is silent. What does this mean? As, as I read my Bible, I see in places like Psalm 74 and Amos chapter 8, that there are times where God is silent and God's silence means God's judgment. In other words, God withholds his word because he is judging his people. Now, Ryan, last week reminded you how the book of Judges ends. Judges 21, 25 ends the book of Judges this way. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And of course, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, you see that Eli's sons continued that tradition of doing what was right in their own eyes. And so what we have here is after this period of the judges where you have the cycle of sin and cycle where God gives them a redeemer and then they're rescued and then God, God has, has his spirit upon that redeemer. There's a time of peace and then they go back to doing what was right in their eyes because there was no king. 1 Samuel is going to answer the question of there was no king. But there's a, there's a season of judgment and silence upon the people of God because of their sin. Can you imagine what this must have been like? If you've read your Bible, you, you, you know that under Joshua's leadership, there was great hope and great expectations. They would go into the land. They would conquer all the nations around them. They would establish their families on the land that was inherited. There would be peace from their enemies. And now they're in the land and God is silent. And, and they must be wondering, what about all those promises of conquest and rest in the land? And yet there's no answer. God is silent. Have you ever been in a dark place where God seems silent to you? Maybe you've been crying out to God for something. Maybe you went to the doctor and you got a diagnosis that you weren't expecting. And, and then your, your heart and your stomach begin to turn into knots. And you're wondering, God, what's happening? God, where are you? And you, you cry out to God for healing or, or for mercy. And, and God seems silent. Or, or maybe you're, you're a, a young couple and, 
and you're trying to conceive and, and you know you would make great parents and, and God seems silent and you, you cry out, God, where are you? God, we're, we're pleading. We're not asking for anything wrong and we're not asking for anything bad. We're asking for things according to what, what you have designed from creation. Please answer us, God. And, and God seems silent. Perhaps you, you've been out of a job for a while and you're, you're just praying, God, I want to work. I, and I would be a hard worker. But God, you, you seem silent. We, we, we all probably have gone through, through various situations. But perhaps some of us, perhaps the problem for some of us is we're not even asking. We're just even too busy. I mean, I'm the father of, of five girls, and I know what it's like to be a busy parent. I know what it's like to trek your kids around from here and there and everywhere. And when we get into the car in Austin, we have to give ourselves 30 minutes to get anywhere. That's without traffic. Our girls were at a swim meet, our, our younger girls were at a swim meet all day yesterday. I, I understand that. And, and so I'm not, I'm not telling you something I don't struggle with. I know that there are seasons in my life where I just go and go and go and go. And I, I, I come to realize, wow, I have not even been seeking God. I have not even been listening to God. No wonder God seems silent because I'm too busy. Or, or maybe you're a young person in here and, and there's just too much noise coming in for you to hear God because you got two earbuds in. Or maybe you're not so young and you have two earbuds in. Or you're just sitting in front of a television playing video games or whatever it might be and there's all this noise coming from our culture and our society and we're just not listening, we're too busy. In that case, we just need to cease striving We need to stop and know that he is God. And God has revealed himself by his word, beloved. And we need to go to his word. And we need to to open the word of God by faith and say, God, speak to me. I'm listening. Speak to me. So we need to confess that. At the very least, we may need to consider perhaps God may seem silent because of our own sin. Maybe we're in a season of life or we're in a habitual sin. And God seems silent because... Because God seems to have withheld his presence from us. Now, let me clarify something for you here so that there's no confusion. Our sin does not affect our union with Christ. In other words, our sin as Christians does not affect our salvation. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And he has accomplished the work on the cross for us. And so we don't fall out of salvation. But our sin does affect our communion with Christ. Our sin does affect our fellowship with Christ. Maybe you may not understand that. Let me see if I can put it to you this way. A few months ago, a gentleman came and knocked on my door. And he was trying to sell me an alarm system. Much to my foolishness, I let him in my house. And he gave me the spiel. Now, I happened to be home by myself at the time. And so we're at the kitchen table, and he's got all his stuff laid out. He's given me the spiel. We were looking for an alarm system, and in comes my wife. And my wife gives me that look. Men, do you know what that look is? That look is this. What are you doing? What does he want? Why did you let him in? And so in honor of me... She didn't say a word. She's right there. Uh, The guy's there. I'm here. She's right there. She didn't say a word. She didn't want to undermine my leadership in front of this guy who came out of a Mormon background. And I was actually sharing the gospel with him. So she texted me right there. (laughs) And so two words, just two words. 
honor me. That's all she texted me. My response. I'm the man of the house. I'm the protector of the house. I'm going to protect you and I'm going to protect my girls and I'm going to put this alarm in here myself if I have to. Where's that paper? Give me that. I'll sign the dotted line. There was so much tension in our house. You could, you could see it. I think it was there, there was a visible manifestation of tension in our house. And my wife was so upset with me. I mean, she, she would not talk to me. Now, listen, we were married still, right? Okay. At no point did my stupidity disqualify me from being a husband. Maybe it should have, but it didn't. Okay, I was still legally married. It didn't do anything to our marriage status. We were legally married, but I was in the doghouse. My sin, my sin did not affect my marriage status. My sin affected my marriage communion. It affected my relationship with my wife. It affected our our, our communion, our fellowship. And you know what? I sensed at that time there was not going to be any communion for a long time. Right? A couple hours later, I began to Google and Google this company and uh, I realized this was a really bad company. They really had a very bad reputation and, and the light bulb just came on. You know what? My wife was just trying to help me. She was not trying to undermine my leadership. She was just simply trying to say, hey, Juan, hold on. You, you don't have to sign the dotted line now. Let's talk about it. Let's research this a little bit. And in my haste, I just went in like a bull in a china shop. And, and it wasn't that I, I just pounced on my wife and, and, and put her in submission. That wasn't the issue. It's that I hurt her. I mean, I, I seriously hurt her. And I don't remember for years and years and years her being that hurt. Let, let me just encourage you ladies uh, who, who are wives, please help us out, okay? Be, be our helpers and, and do that in kind, encouraging ways. And men... Listen, okay? Listen to your wives. They're helpers, okay? That's extra and that's free. That wasn't in the sermon, okay? (laughs) That's just a little help for you. But that's what I mean when I say our sin as Christians does not affect our union with Christ. It affects our communion with Christ. And here we see that, that Israel's sin had affected their relationship and God was silent. I assure you, God's silence or seeming silence at least, does not always mean that we're in sin. But it is important for us at the very least to begin there, to evaluate our lives, to evaluate our hearts. Sometimes God is waiting for the right providential time to to deal with us. But for Israel, it was clear that God's silence was a judgment upon their sin. But there was hope. And the hope we find in Deuteronomy chapter 18. I invite you to turn your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 18. And let's, let's read that together. Even before Eli, before Samuel, before the conquest, God had given a word of hope and promise to Moses about how God would speak to his people. And here we see in Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning in verse 15, God telling Moses, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. Uh, Excuse me, this is is Moses saying, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. 
It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see the great fire any more lest I die. When they came to Sinai, God appeared to them and it was, it was a thunderous presence, a, cloudy, a, a cloud of smoke and they were afraid and they said, Moses, don't, don't, don't let God talk to us. You go and you find out what God wants to tell us and then you tell us. That's how fearful they were of God's presence. And Moses was the mediating prophet who spoke to them. And here God is promising them through Moses that God would raise up another one who would speak for God to them. In verse 17 of Deuteronomy 18, it says, And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, the same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, That is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. See what's going on here? Here we have the pattern for the prophet. Here we have the paradigm for the ministry of the prophet. Here established and also a word of hope that God would not always be silent. And so even in the midst of this silence, there was a hope that God would raise up one who would speak on his behalf to the people. Beloved, this is what's taking place in 1 Samuel chapter 3. It is in a sense a fulfillment of that promise in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And so here, secondly, we see the messenger of God. We've seen the silence of God and now we see the messenger of God. God had set Samuel apart to be his messenger. You saw that as you went through chapter 1 in the miraculous conception. You, You saw that again in chapter 1. In the sacrificial dedication as as his mother sacrificed raising him in her home and she dedicated him to the Lord. And now we see it in verse 1 as he is ministering in the tabernacle as a young man. You see, beloved, at the right time, God called Samuel to be his messenger. After a period of silence, in God's time, he spoke. And that should be a word of hope for us. Sometimes God seems silent to us and and we're crying out and we're saying, God, please help us. Beloved, can I just encourage you that God speaks at the right time. It may not necessarily be what we're expecting or what we want, but God does speak, but he does so in his time. And at the right time, God called Samuel to be his messenger. And what's interesting here, it's almost comical because God was silent for so long, no one knew what to expect and they didn't even know what to do. Look here, beginning in verse 2. It says, At that time Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not gone out. This was a lamp that was to burn all night long. So it was probably close to the morning. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. 
The ark of God was the the place where, the Bible says it was the footstool of God. God is the king of his people and the ark was his footstool, so to speak. And it was a place where he had promised his mediating presence. The place where he would promise to meet the people of God through the mediators whom he would choose. At this point, it it was just the tabernacle. The temple would be built later by Solomon. But Samuel is ministering in this presence. In the presence of God, so to speak. He's not inside the tabernacle because no one who was not a priest was not permitted there. And so he's likely somewhere in the precincts of the tabernacle. And so this is the scene. God God is going to call him and this is the scene that is set for us. Verse 4. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel, and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. So Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now, it's clear that Samuel knew the Lord in one sense, because he was already serving the Lord. I think this this verse, if you look at it, I think both sentences are parallel and inform one another. So, in what sense did he not know the Lord? In the sense that the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. In the sense that the silence of God had been such that he himself had never heard God. God had not approached him. God had not revealed himself to him personally. That's what God was exactly about to do. So, we go on. Verse 8, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? God's patience. Isn't it interesting? Nowhere here in this text does the Bible condemn Samuel for being thick-headed. God just came to him, and God just came to him, and then he came to him. He permitted Samuel the time to, to have some understanding for, for everything to be figured out, and then God came and he spoke. Beloved, take heart and take hope in the patience of God with us. God does come and God does help us understand. And God comes to us and he is patient with us. So take heart in his patience here. The Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. What we see here is that the Lord calls Samuel as he had done at other times. Look at verses 10 and 11. And the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. I, I, that made me curious, and I thought, what does that mean as at other times? And I found that in two other occasions, God called on people saying their name twice. One was in Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham was about to sacrifice his son, and God calls out, Abraham, Abraham. That's a, a major turning point in the history of salvation, in the history of God's people. Another time is in Exodus chapter 3, where Moses comes upon the burning bush, and God says, Moses, Moses. 
And here, God comes to Samuel and calls as at other times. And what we're going to begin to learn is that here we have another significant shift in salvation history. Here, here we have something that God is about to do that is going to be new. And it's going to move forward the progression of God's revelation over time. Abraham was one such time where he established a covenant with Abraham. Moses wins one such time. And here we begin to see that Samuel answers the question of the king. There was not a king in Israel, so everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And here we see God is going to do something new. He's going to bring about a king. He's going to judge Eli for his unfaithfulness. But God is calling Samuel to be the vehicle through whom God does this great new thing. It says in verse 11, And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. So we see what God is doing here. He is revealing himself to Samuel, and he is about to do something new. And that includes the judgment of Eli's household. Now listen. You have to keep Deuteronomy 18 in your mind as you're thinking through this passage. Samuel is the messenger that God had set apart and at the right time God called to be his messenger. As the messenger of God, Samuel had to deliver the word of God. And this is what we need to understand. What we see here is that the Lord revealed to Samuel the judgment he was about to bring on Eli and his household. Verses 12 through 14. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning this house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. I, I think that what's taking place here is that in Numbers 15, the law reminds us that anyone committing a high-handed sin would be cut off. Here was, was a high-handed sin. It wasn't accidental. It was intentional. It was high-handed. He knew exactly what was going on with his sons. His sons knew their responsibilities, yet they transgress against that in the face of God before the people of God whom they were supposed to be representatives of God too. And they're about to be cut off. Now, the word of God here has to be delivered to Eli. And what's difficult for us to understand is that the word of God is a double-edged sword. The word of God is a word of both judgment and salvation. The very word of God that is a word of, word of salvation is a word of judgment. The word of God is salvation to those who believe is a word of judgment to those who do not believe. It is a word of judgment to those who reject God's word. And we need to understand that character and the nature of the word of God. We want, as American Christians, we want God's word to always be positive and encouraging. That's what we want. We always want to hear about the blessings. And we need to understand that the word of God is a double-edged sword. I remember in my first pastorate, I was pretty naive in my thinking. I was ready to preach and preach through books of the Bible like I'm doing here. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to preach and people are going to get saved. This whole town is going to be turned upside down. The church is going to grow. And I started preaching and you know what? That didn't happen. What happened? The word of God is a double-edged sword. People did come to faith in Christ, 
but there were people who hated that very word of salvation. And to them, it became a word of judgment. I went to one of my professors who was, uh, with whom I was studying, and I said, you know what, this, I, I thought I would just preach the word and, and everything would be great. And he reminded me, Juan, the word of God is a double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. He's right. In fact, this is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's why the word of God, the very same word of God of hope and salvation for some is a word of judgment for others. To speak of Jesus to some is to, is to get their bad side upon you. This is what you must understand when you go out and you speak of Christ to someone who does not Christ, uh, does not know Christ, whether it's your neighbor or your family member or your coworker in the next cubicle or the person who's checking you out at the store. Sometimes the word is going to be received with great joy and it's a word of hope and salvation for them. But some people are going to oppose you. And you need to understand as you're sharing the gospel with people, the word of God, the gospel is a double-edged sword. So don't be surprised if you suffer for the sake of Christ. And also those of you who have responsibilities for teaching, don't be surprised that when you teach the word of God, the dual nature, the double-edged sword of the word of God is at work. Some will be encouraged, some will be cut to the quick, some will repent, and some will condemn. Because the word of God is a double-edged sword. But the messenger of God, the messenger of God must deliver God's word whether it is received well or it is not received well. And this is precisely what we see Samuel doing in verse 15. It says, Samuel lay until morning, then he opposed, opened the doors of the house of the Lord, And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. I mean, can you imagine the tension? I mean, he is, it's been revealed to him that God is going to cut off Eli and his household. And he has this information. It says in verse 16, but Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. I mean, and you can sympathize with Eli, can't you? Because God had been silent for so long and now he is the one through whom God should have spoken but instead he spoke through Samuel and he wants to know what did God say? I mean, imagine being Samuel, a young man in that situation and you know what God has said and you know it is not a word of comfort to Eli. And yet, as the messenger of God, he must not fear man. He must fear God and deliver the message that God has given him. And that's precisely what he does. Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. That had to have been very difficult to tell him that the word of God was a word of judgment against the person who had discipled him. Those of you who have the responsibility to pastor who have the responsibility to teach, you need to understand that you must deliver the word of God. 
In fact, this includes all leaders in the congregation. It includes Sunday school teachers. It includes us as parents. We must deliver the word of God in our homes. We must teach our children the word of God, the whole counsel of God, as God has clearly communicated it to us in his word. And what is the people's response? The people must receive God's word, whether it's a word of judgment or a word of blessing. And that's what, that's what Eli does. Look back at verse 18. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Eli knew. Eli understood. God has spoken. And he will accomplish all his holy will. Let it be so. And that's what we must do. There may be times where we may not want to hear God because we know it would be a word of judgment against us because of the sin that we presently are involved in. But God in his mercy breaks the silence and he speaks to his people by his appointed messenger. How does he speak? He speaks by his word. So thirdly, we see the word of God. What we see here is that the Lord reveals himself to his messenger by his word so that his messenger would give the people the word of God. This is really the summary of this chapter. God speaks to his messenger by his word so his messenger would deliver God's word to God's people. And in this case, the messenger that God had established was Samuel. Samuel was faithful to declare God's word. Again, we go back to verse 18. In verse 18, it says, Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Look at verse 19, it says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. Why did God not let any of his words fall to the ground? Because they were not Samuel's words, they were God's words. And to the degree that Samuel was faithful to deliver God's word, none of Samuel's words fell to the ground. And so we see Samuel's faithfulness to declare God's word because Samuel's words were God's word. Look at verse 21 of chapter three. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. That was a place of the tabernacle at that time. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. By the word of the Lord. And through Samuel's ministry, all of Israel heard the word. Verse 20. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, that's like saying from north to south, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And verse 1 of chapter 4 says, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. And again, why? Because it was the word of God. The words of Samuel were nothing more than the words of God. It was God's word to Samuel communicated to the people of God. And Samuel was God's chosen messenger. The silence of God was broken. God had a messenger, and that messenger was faithful to declare God's word. Beloved, I want to warn us, beware. Beware of looking for God in all the wrong places, like tortillas. God has most clearly revealed himself by his word. Why? Why the word? Why his word? Because the word is most clear. Even when there had been other ways of communicating, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, is that the clearly proclaimed prophetic word of God takes priority. 
Why the word? Because if God simply worked without explaining what he does, we would all be confused. If God simply rescued Israel out of Egypt and brought them to the land without saying a word of explanation of what he was doing, they would have no idea. It was bad enough that God had revealed and told them what he was doing and they made a golden calf anyway. And so the way that God functions is he works and then he explains or, they, or he explains and then he works by his word. He condescends to us in language that we would understand in order that we would know who he is. So Genesis 1 tells us that God created by his word. He spoke and the world came into existence. Hebrews chapter 1 reminds us that God sustains the world by the word of his power. John tells us in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. This word became flesh and it dwelt among us. God has most clearly revealed himself by the word Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. He is the word of God. He is the word of God most clear to us that we would know him. And now Jesus reveals the father. And God saves us by his word. James 1.18 tells us of his own spirit, he brought us forth by the word of truth. And God has inscripturated his word about Jesus that we would know him and that we would know him through his son, Jesus Christ. And the spirit has inscripturated his word for us. You know what, what's such a blessing is that God is no longer silent. Do you want to hear God speak? Then open your Bible. You don't have to go searching in strange places. You don't have to seek strange experiences. Just open your Bible. Is it, is it possible that we don't hear God because we are not reading our Bible? Moms and dads, if I could urge you, one of the most important things that you can do is read the Bible to your children. There are lots of Bibles that are helpful and useful, and the pastor's here, and Ryan can help you discern. David Helm, who was here as part of the Simeon Trust Workshop, has put one together that we really enjoy in our family. But there's, there's a great joy. There should be a great joy for moms and dads as we sit our children on our laps or beside us and we're reading God's word and in children's Bibles or in children's storybooks and they hear those stories and they say, read it again, daddy. Read it again, daddy. We, we should not, we should not say, but I read it already. We should go, yeah. We should, we should instill in our children a love for the word of God. And beloved, you should be reading the Bible to one another. You should be opening the Bible and reading it together and saying, hey, I read this passage, let me share this with you. You should be reading it as you gather together in community groups and you should be gathering here for God's word whenever the word of God is preached because God has spoken. He is silent no more. He has spoken through his son, the word, and the word about the son has been inscripturated for us by the spirit and he speaks to us. Oh, that we would hear and that we would obey. And I would also say, pray for the messengers that God has given you. In Ephesians 4.11, we're reminded that the ascended Christ has gifted to the church ministers of the word of God. And the ministers here are faithful. I listened to Ryan's sermon uh, the other night and, 
And he is a faithful brother. He is a faithful messenger of God. So encourage him by praying for him and praying for the word to do its work in him so that when he comes up here, he would simply give the word of God to you that you would hear not Ryan speaking, but God speaking through Ryan in the power of the spirit as he exalts Jesus Christ. I don't know what you were expecting when you came here this morning. But you should have expected nothing less than God speaking by his word. And so come with expectation. Come with great expectation. God had warned that because of sin, he would bring about a famine of the word of God to Israel. This is what we read in Amos chapter 8 verses 1 through 12. God said that he would bring about a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread or drink, but a famine of the word of God. This is what we see happening after the Babylonians in 587 BC uh, when when they came through and they, they, they conquered God's people in Jerusalem. The people were wondering, what in the world has happened? God had promised that he would put a king from David's line on the throne forever. And now not only do we not have a king on the throne, we don't even have a throne. We don't even have a temple. God, where are you? Where have you been? Where have you gone? God, answer us. God's people came back. We read that in Ezra and Nehemiah. But there's something happens when you come to the end of the Old Testament. There's this understanding that there are 400 years of silence. Did you know that? There are 400 years of silence. And John the Baptist is the first one that comes and breaks the silence. God had promised he would send one in the spirit of Elijah the prophet who would come and prepare the way of the one whom he had promised. And so after 400 years of long silence, what we begin to see is God speaking once again. And John the Baptist, the messenger of the Lord, the very last prophet in the line of prophets from Moses to Samuel, the Old Testament prophets, he announces again another shift in the history of salvation. Something new is about to happen. Something new is about to come. And it is Jesus. Jesus is the new thing that is going to come. Jesus is God's chosen servant, God's chosen messenger by whom God will communicate to the world. And Jesus is the one who brings the word of God to the people. Like Samuel, Jesus experienced a miraculous conception. We're not to lose sight of these things. When we see Samuel and how God set him apart, we see a lot of similarities in the life of Jesus Christ. Like Samuel, Jesus experienced a miraculous conception. Like Samuel, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Like Samuel, Jesus spoke only the word of God, both a word of judgment and a word of blessing. But unlike Samuel, unlike Samuel, Jesus was the only begotten of the Father who reveals the Father. And unlike Samuel, Jesus came to rescue us from the darkness of sin and of evil. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3 and we'll close here. We'll end here in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 22, the, the scene here is that a lame beggar has been healed and Peter is at Solomon's portico and he's announcing the gospel. And he's reminding the Jews that they bear responsibility for the death of Jesus Christ. And we're going to pick up this account in verse 22 of Acts chapter 3. And in Acts chapter 3 verse 22, Peter says, Moses said, what is he doing here? Peter's about to take us back to Deuteronomy 18 where we began. 
Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from where? Samuel. There's our Samuel. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him. You see, God was doing something new with Samuel. There's a bracket right there. All the prophets who spoke from Samuel and to those who came after him, and I would add all the way to John the Baptist, also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God having raised up his servant, who is the servant, the one whom he sent to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is speaking of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate prophet who fulfilled Deuteronomy 18, the one whom God would send to be the messenger of God to the people that they would hear God's word. So Jesus is the one through whom God reveals himself. In Jesus, we see that God expects perfect obedience. And Jesus lived that life of perfect obedience that no one was able to do. But not only did Jesus obey the law, fulfilling the the requirement of the law for perfect obedience, Jesus fulfilled the law that requires death, the death penalty for breaking any aspect of the law. And so what we see is that God has revealed himself ultimately in Jesus Christ. He's revealed his holy character, his exacting nature and exacting perfection that he requires of anyone who's to be in his presence because there's no sin allowed to be in his presence. And he reveals in Jesus Christ his wrath and his justice against sinners. But he also reveals his grace and mercy that he gave Jesus to fulfill obedience perfectly and to receive the wrath for all who would believe and turn away from their sins. Now, if you're here this morning as a visitor, I know that this church welcomes you. Maybe you're here because of the balloon fiesta. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ because your parents brought you here or your neighbors brought you here. Let me just say, I know this church is glad that you're here, but I want you to hear this is the good news of the gospel. The gospel is not what you must do to be accepted before God. The gospel is God has done everything already and provided everything that you need in order to be in his presence and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is God's messenger who brings the word of God and all who receive the word of God and turn away from their sins will have everlasting life. If you have never come to Christ and embraced Christ, I would plead with you to do that and to come to Christ now by faith. You know what happened? Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what was taking place there? That was the silence of God's judgment. God does not look upon sin. And God treated Jesus as a sinner at that point on our behalf. And so Jesus endured the silence of God as he received the wrath of God so that you and I would never have to say, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? Isn't that good news? I want you to be encouraged. This is a God who speaks and he is spoken by his messenger. And now the ascended messenger, Jesus, has given the church messengers of the word of God that you might be built up and encouraged and that you might go out and be God's messengers as well to this lost and dying and dark and sinful world that those who presently live in the silence of God 
would have their ears open and their eyes opened to see the truth and the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. God is no longer silent. He has spoken and he invites all people everywhere to repent that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we are now through Christ invited to come into your presence to turn away from our sin and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we confess that there are times in our lives where you seem silent from us. You seem distant from us. Father, please help us to examine ourselves. Is it sin? Help us to see. Expose our hearts. Grant us the grace to repent of our sin, to confess our sin. And grant us the faith, Father, to understand that our sin as Christians does not affect our union with Christ, but it does affect our communion. But help us to know that by grace through faith, as we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we confess, beginning with myself, I'm too busy. I'm too busy oftentimes to hear you. There are too many things plugged into my head or in front of my eyes that I'm too busy. And I know that as a pastor, if I'm too busy, I know, beloved, I know that our beloved people are also, also busy. And so, Father, rescue us from the busyness of this life. Give us wisdom. Give us wisdom to know, to cease striving and know that you are God. And Father, help us. Give us the grace to read your word, to know your word, to share your word, that those who presently live in the dark silence of judgment would come to Jesus and would hear. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.